order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Mr Simon Hoare. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. And I would like to begin by updating the House on the Government's response to the incident that occurred in Salisbury on Sunday and to pay tribute to the work of all the emergency services who responded at the scene and those who are now caring for the two critically ill individuals in hospital. As my right honourable friend, the Foreign Secretary, told the House yesterday, the police investigation is ongoing. Yesterday afternoon, I chaired a meeting of the National Security Council where we were updated on that investigation, which is now being led by counter-terrorism police. And this morning, my right honourable friend, the Home Secretary, chaired a meeting of the Government's Emergency Committee, COBRA, and she has asked the police to provide an update later today. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And representing a South West constituency, can I align my remarks with those of my right honourable friend? The incident in Salisbury has clearly caused great concern across the South West and across the country. North Dorset's councils and I share the Prime Minister's commitment to delivering new housing, such as the 1,800 new homes proposed for Gillingham in my constituency. We understand how housing transforms lives and supports local economic growth. Can I welcome this week's announcements from the Prime Minister? Let's get Britain building and deliver those quality homes of all tenures that our constituents now need. Well, my honourable honourable friend is absolutely right about the importance of housing. And earlier this week I confirmed that the Government is rewriting the rules on planning to help restore that dream of home ownership. Because we want to see and we want to see planning commissions going to people who are actually going to build houses, not just sit on land and watch its value rise. But our new rules will also make sure that the right infrastructure is in place to support housing developments, and planning changes will also allow more affordable homes to be prioritised for key workers. So the Government has made it a priority to build the homes people need, so everyone can afford a safe and decent place to live. Jeremy Corbyn. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I thank the Prime Minister for the short statement she made concerning the incident in Salisbury, and I think we all thank the Emergency and Security Services for their response, and we await updates on the progress of investigations into the cause of that incident. Mr Speaker, tomorrow is International Women's Day, a chance to both celebrate how far we've come on equality for women, but also to reflect on how far we have to go, not just in this country, but around the world. Later today, Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister is due to meet Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, the ruler of Saudi Arabia. Despite much talk of reform, there has been a sharp increase in the arrest and detention of dissidents, torture of prisoners is common, human rights defenders routinely sentenced to lengthy prison terms, unfair trials and executions are widespread, as Amnesty International confirms. As she makes her arms sales pitch, will she also call on the Crown Prince to halt the shocking abuse of human rights in Saudi Arabia? First of all, can I uh, thank the Right Honourable Gentleman for telling me that it is International Women's Day tomorrow. <laughs> I think that's what's called mansplaining. <laughs> I, 
I welcome, I, I look forward to welcoming Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman from Saudi Arabia to this. Well, Labour backbenchers from sedentary positions are shouting shame. Can I just say to those backbenchers that the link that we have with Saudi Arabia is historic, it is an important one, and it has saved, it has saved the lives of potentially hundreds of people in this country. And, and can I say that actually the fact that it is an important link is not just the view that I hold. The Shadow Foreign Secretary this morning said our relationship with Saudi Arabia is an important one. She also went on to say that doesn't mean we should be pulling up our punches, and I agree, which is why I will be raising concerns about human rights with the Crown Prince when I meet him. And can I just say, as the Right Honourable Gentleman started on the issue of International Women's Day, I welcome the fact that the Crown Prince will be sitting down with as the guest of a female Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, it's a, a year on. The Government is, of course, still suppressing a report into the funding of extremism, which allegedly found evidence of Saudi funding going to terrorist groups here in the UK, thus threatening our security. When will that report come out? And Mr Speaker, a humanitarian disaster is now taking place in Yemen. Millions face starvation. 600,000 children have cholera because of the Saudi-led bombing campaign and the blockade. 600,000 children with cholera is something that I think everyone in this House should take seriously. Germany has suspended arms sales to Saudi Arabia but British arms sales have sharply increased and British military advisers are directing the war. It cannot be right that her government, Mr Speaker, it cannot be right that her government is colluding in what the United Nations says is evidence of war crimes. Will the Prime Minister use her meeting today with the Crown Prince to halt the arms supplies and demand an immediate ceasefire in Yemen. Well, Mr Speaker, the Right Honourable Gentleman raised two questions uh, there. On the first point that he made about the Home Office's internal review, this Government is committed to stamping out extremism in all its forms. I launched, when I was Home Secretary, the counter-extremism strategy. My Right Honourable Friend, the current Home Secretary, has appointed our counter-extremism Commissioner. Uh, the review that we had gave us the best picture of how extremists operating in the UK sustain their activities. It did improve our understanding of that, and its most important finding is that contrary to popular perception, Islamist extremists draw more, most of their financial support from domestic rather than overseas sources. Now, I understand that for reasons of the, uh, some of the personal content in the report, this has not been published. However, uh, privy councillors have been invited to uh, go to the Home Office to read this report. That invitation was extended, I believe, to the Shadow Home Secretary, uh, and so she and other uh, Privy Council colleagues on the Labour front bench are free to go and read that uh, report. The second issue that the Right Honourable Gentleman raised was the question of the humanitarian situation in Yemen. We are all concerned 
about the appalling humanitarian situation in Yemen and the effect it is having on people, particularly the effect it is having on women and children. That is why, as a government, we have increased our funding for Yemen. Uh, last year, we inc- uh, for 2017-18, we increased it to over £200 million, and we are the third largest humanitarian donor to the Yemen. We are delivering life-saving aid that will provide nutrition support for 1.7 million people, clean water for 1.2 million people. Now, and, and I was pleased when I went to uh, Saudi Arabia in December, I met with the Crown Prince, I raised with him then the need to open the port of Hodeida to humanitarian and commercial supplies. I am pleased to say that Saudi Arabia then uh, did just that. This vindicates the engagement that we have with Saudi Arabia to be able to sit down uh, with them. Their involvement in Yemen came at the request of the legitimate government of the Yemen. It is backed by the United Nations Security Council, and as such we support it. But on the humanitarian issue, I would say it is for all parties in the conflict to ensure that they allow humanitarian aid to get through to those who need it. Jeremy Corbyn. Mr Speaker, of course we all want all possible humanitarian aid to go to Yemen and help those people that are suffering. But I refer her to the remarks made by the former International Development Secretary, the member for Sutton Coalfield, who said, and I quote, we must not be afraid to condemn the nightly attacks on Yemen by the Saudi Air Force that killed and maimed innocent men, women and children. A ceasefire has got to be urgent in order to save lives in the Yemen. Mr Speaker, why does the Prime Minister think that rough sleeping fell under Labour but has doubled under the Conservatives? Well, can I, first of all, to respond to the first question that he raised in relation to the uh, the Yemen and the uh, uh, conflict that is taking place there in the Yemen. We have encouraged the Saudi Arabian government to ensure that when there are allegations that activity has taken place uh, which is not uh, uh, in line with international humanitarian law. They investigate that. They learn the lessons from it. I believe something like 55 reports have already been published as a result of that. But on this issue of arms exports to uh, to Saudi Arabia, can I also say that he seems to be at odds with his shadow foreign secretary once again, who this morning said the arms industry is not something I am seeking to undermine as long as it is within international law and went on to say that she thought the UK can sell arms to any country as long as they are used within the law. Well, yes, we agree. We have a very tight arms export regime in this country, and when there are allegations of arms not being used within the law, then we expect that to be investigated and uh, uh, to be lessons to be learned on that. On the issue of uh, rough sleeping, I say to the right honourable gentleman that nobody in this House wants to see anybody uh, having to sleep rough on the streets of this country. That is why, that is why this is a government that is putting millions of pounds extra into dealing with rough sleeping. It's why we're piloting the housing first approach in three of our major cities. Because the because what we want to do is to ensure not just that we deal with the situation where somebody is found sleeping rough, but actually that we prevent people from sleeping rough in the first place. Jeremy Corbyn. Mr Speaker, in November, the Chancellor of the Exchequer announced a rough sleeping task force and £28 million for three pilot schemes to tackle homelessness. I understand four months on, the task force hasn't yet met. Not a penny has been spent on that programme. 
Mr Speaker, there is a homelessness crisis in this country. Rough sleeping has doubled since 2010. Doesn't the Prime Minister think it's a little unambitious to say we're going to tackle, tackle rough sleeping by 2027? What can I say? We're, we're going to eliminate it. That's our aim by 2027. But let me, let me, let me just perhaps... Perhaps it would be helpful, Mr Speaker, if I was to update the right honourable gentleman, because the task force that he referred to has, in fact, met. It met today. But more importantly, because the right honourable gentleman has asked me this previously, more importantly, this isn't the only group of people we bring together to look at rough sleeping. We have an expert advisory group that has been meeting uh, over recent months and whose reports and whose information and whose expertise is being input into that task force. He talks about homelessness. Statutory homelessness is less than half of its peak in 2003, but we recognise that there is more to do. That's why we want to see more homes being built. On rough sleeping, it isn't just a question. Of course we want people to have a roof over their head. But we see something like half of rough sleepers with a mental health problem. That's why we're putting more money into mental health. That's why it's not just a question of of improving figures. It's a question of changing people's lives around. If he really cares, he'll look at the complexity of this issue and recognise it's more than giving people a, a roof over their head. It's about dealing with the underlying problems that lead to them rough sleeping in the first place. Jeremy Corbyn! Mr Speaker, I'm glad that the Government showed such urgency in setting up this task force that it took four months to have a meeting of it and it still hasn't actually achieved anything. Many people in this country are very upset and very embarrassed about the levels of rough sleeping in this country. And many volunteer, and I got a letter this week from Barry. I volunteer in my hometown of Southampton to feed the homeless because of the lack of care and help for these individuals is a disgrace. And he goes on to point out the number of unoccupied buildings in his town and many others. Does the Prime Minister believe Does the Prime Minister believe that her cutting, government cutting homelessness services by 45% since 2010 has had some effect on the numbers of people that are rough sleeping? I'd say to the right honourable gentleman that if he thinks that the only way you, you solve issues is by bringing people together in a meeting, I have to tell him that is not the way to solve issues. We to deal with these issues is actually to get out there on the ground doing something about it. That's why, that's why we are funding 48 projects to help rough sleepers into emergency accommodation and to overcome the issues like mental ill health and substance abuse. It is why there have been councils around the country that have been taking that severe, uh, during the severe weather, ensuring that they are providing accommodation for people who are sleeping on the streets, but also dealing with the underlying issues that lead to somebody sleeping on the streets. It's why. It's why we are ensuring that we're implementing housing first in a number of regions to put entrenched rough sleepers into accommodation as a first step to rebuilding their lives. This is about this isn't about figures, it's about people. It's about ensuring we are taking the action necessary to deal with the problems that people face and which leads to them being rough sleeping. 
It is also about ensuring that we build enough homes in this country for people to have. And that is why what we are doing to revise the planning laws to ensure that people are building houses when they have planning permission should be welcomed by the right honourable gentleman when he stands up. Enemy Mr Speaker, I do not think any of that would become as much comfort to the rough sleepers that I meet that are begging every day just to find enough money to get into a night shelter. Mr Speaker, the Conservative Chair of the Local Government Association, Lord Porter, warned councils are now beyond the point where council tax can plug the gap. That is the result of the Government's slashing of council budgets and passing on the buck. Mr Speaker, after this deathly cold winter, we have more than twice as many people sleeping rough on our streets. Just one step away from that fate are 60,000 60, homeless households in temporary accommodation. We are the fifth richest country in the world. The growing number of people on our streets is a mark of national shame. With fewer social homes being built, less support for the homeless and a task force that is barely met, just how does the Prime Minister really propose to tackle the homelessness crisis? We propose to deal with the issue of homelessness uh, and to deal with those, issue with those people who are not homeless but want to be able to have a home of their own uh, by building more homes in this country. We propose to deal with it, as I said earlier in this week, by ensuring that tenants get a fairer deal when they are renting in this country. But he's, I have to say there are more council houses have been built under this Conservative Government than were built under 15, 13 years of Labour. We have seen more social housing being built in the last seven years than in the last seven years under the Labour government. So if he wants to, if he wants to look at the issue of a record in relation to uh, uh, housing, he should look at the record of the last Labour government. And of course, it was the record of the last Labour government that was described as bringing that was described the record of the last Labour government was described the Mr Perkins, I know you were asking about tennis earlier, but you appear to be attempting some sort of imitation of crochet. And you shouldn't be making these curious gesticulations. They make you look even odder than... Prime <laughs> Minister, let me Well, I thought your behaviour was a tad odd, and I'm concerned about your well-being. I think the members from Wirral and Hull will look after you. The Prime Minister... The, uh, the record of the last Labour government on housing was described as in crisis uh, and bringing misery and despair. Who said the last Labour government's record was bringing misery and despair? The right honourable gentleman, the leader of the opposition. He said Labour didn't have a good record on housing. I agree. It's the Conservatives that are delivering the homes the country needs. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Over the last three years, more than 2,000 new homes have been built in northwest Leicestershire, including a record 731 in the last 12 months. Additionally, my local authority are building new council houses for the first time in decades, all in contrast with just 227 houses completed in the year to 2010, the last time Labour were in government. Will my right honourable friend use northwest Leicestershire as an example to other local authorities, show them our unemployment rate of 1% and the fact that we have no rough sleepers. 
Well, I, can I say to my honourable friend that uh, I'm very pleased that he's raised the example of North West Leicestershire and we're very happy to join him in acknowledging the example that is being set by North West Leicestershire. Of course, it's not just that those figures that he's quoted have led to, have contributed to last year's 217,000 new homes being built across the country, which was the best year bar one for the last 30 years in terms of the numbers of new homes. But there is more to do. That's why we've launched, we've rewritten the planning rules. And it's why we are taking measures, which we did in the, uh, in the budget, to ensure that money is available, that we're helping people onto the housing ladder through help to buy. Once again, I say, as he has uh, uh, referred to, it is actually the Conservatives in government that are delivering the homes that people need. In Blackford. Thank you, Mr Speaker. On the 6th of February, the Royal Bank of Scotland announced that 10 branches that were earmarked for closure were going to be given a reprieve, subject to a review at the end of the year. Will the Prime Minister join with me in calling on the Royal Bank of Scotland to do what they can to encourage people to open accounts to make sure these branches are sustainable? Can I say to the right honourable gentleman, as he knows full well, it is uh, the opening and closing of branches is a commercial matter for the Royal Bank of Scotland. Uh, people, he says to call on people to actually open accounts and to use those branches. Of course, what we see, one of the reasons why bran bank branches are closing is because more people are choosing not to physically go into bank branches, but to, uh, to actually bank on the internet. It's up to customers to decide the banking arrangements that suit them. Bird. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I should remind the Prime Minister that we own the Royal Bank of Scotland and the Prime Minister ought to be holding the company to account. Mr Speaker, I had a phone call from a constituent of mine, an Angus Sutherland, who phoned the Royal Bank of Scotland yesterday and wanted to open a number of accounts for him and his family. Rather than opening him in the local branch in Kyle, which is one that's earmarked for reprieve, he was told that he should be approaching a branch elsewhere. Mr Speaker, that is outrageous that the Royal Bank of Scotland are undermining the ability of these branches to stay open. Will she finally call in the Chief Executive of Ross McEwen and tell him that this behaviour must end? Honourable gentleman, and he's raised these questions before. I say to him that I would have thought that, with his background, he would understand that decisions are taken by commercial organisations, by those commercial organisations, that it is not for the government to tell people what sort of accounts they're going to have or which branch they should be opening those accounts in. It is. We take steps to ensure that where there are branch closures, uh, that access to, to facilities are available. That's why we have the agreement with the post office to provide extra uh, uh, additional ability for people to use services through the post office. But I have to say to the right honourable gentleman that it is not right for him to suggest that the government should be telling people where they should have their bank accounts and how they should hold those bank accounts. There's a commercial decision for the banks on bank uh, branches and a, a decision for individual customers as to their own banking arrangements. Please say we're now on to backbenchers. And I want to hear lots of backbench members. Kirsten Hare. Yeah. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Thanks to income tax hikes by the SNP government, thousands of UK Armed Forces personnel who are situated in Scotland will pay more tax than their counterparts south of the border. Can my right honourable friend confirm that this Conservative government is currently reviewing the steps that it can take to clean up the SNP's mess and mitigate the tax rise for our brave servicemen and women? 
Well, can I say to my honourable friend, this is a very important point that she has raised. We do see, as a result of decisions taken by the Scottish nationalists in government in Scotland, that there will be many people in Scotland who will be paying higher taxes. Just somebody earning over £26,000 will be paying higher taxes in Scotland than in the rest of the United Kingdom. And I, had, I was in the chamber for the end of defence questions the other day when my right honourable friend, the Defence Secretary, said that the point she has raised about armed forces in Scotland is a point that he is uh, looking into. Mrs. Louise Elman. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, Labour lifted a million children out of poverty. This government is on course to plunge a record 37% of children into poverty. And vulnerable people are denied social care because of government cuts to local authorities. Is this really a society that's working for everyone? What we see under this government is the number of people in absolute poverty has fallen under this Conservative government. But we do want to ensure we do want to ensure that families are supported in uh, supporting themselves. That's why we've done things like increasing the national living wage, increasing the personal allowance, taking more people out of paying uh, income tax, and revising the benefit system so more people are encouraged and able to get into the workplace. Neil Parrish. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. I'm sure my right honourable friend will agree with me that air quality will improve the lives of everybody in this country um, and their children and grandchildren. Uh, we are launching a joint committee on this, and working across government is important between DEFRA, health, and transport. Will the Prime Minister put in place a cabinet minister to coordinate this work to make sure our children and grandchildren have better air quality? Can I say to uh, Can I say to my honourable friend that this is an important issue we are and we are committed to being the first generation to leave the environment in a better state than we inherited it and we are taking action to address air pollution and I'm pleased that emissions of toxic nitrogen oxides fell by almost 27 percent between 2010 and 2016 but there is of course more for us to do and that's why we've put in place a 3.5 billion plan for tackling poor air quality and cleaner transport and we'll publish a strategy later this year which will set out further steps and I can assure uh, the uh, my honourable friend that both the Secretary of State for Business whose department covers the issues around uh, 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 energy and air quality and indeed um, the Minister for Energy uh, who attends Cabinet are very well uh, uh, versed in putting together the arguments for better air quality. Stuart Malcolm MacDonald. As the Saudi Crown Prince sweeps across Westminster in Whitehall, will she pledge to raise a very specific case concerning the jailed writer Rafe Badawi, who languishes in a prison now for six years, all because he had written some things his government didn't like. His wife and children have now claimed asylum in Canada. Will she pledge to raise his case and do something that her predecessor never did? Stand at that dispatch box, say that Rafe Badawi is no criminal and that Rafe Badawi should be set free. Can I say to the Honourable Gentleman that I will be raising a number of cases with the Crown Prince when I see him over the next couple of days. The case he specifically referred to of Rafe Badawi is not something that waits for a visit of the Crown Prince for us to raise. We do regularly monitor this situation. We do regularly uh, raise this uh, question with uh, with the Saudi Government and we will continue to do so. Clark. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Will the Prime Minister support the work Bayes and the Oil and Gas Authority are doing to help facilitate 
the production of a trillion pounds of oil and gas revenue from the continental shelf, supporting 300,000 jobs? And will she join me in paying tribute to the men and women working offshore, ensuring our homes stay warm? I'm very happy to join my honourable friend in paying tribute to those who work in our offshore oil and gas industry and thanking them for the work that they do. I think last week's weather highlighted just how important it is to uh, to us all. And we do remain committed to supporting the industry, building on the £2.3 billion package uh, announced in recent budgets. And my right honourable friend, the Secretary of State for Business and the sector, recently committed to working together to ensure that the UK continues to enjoy the benefits of what is a world-leading offshore oil and gas industry. Liam Greenwood. Nottingham needs to find an extra £12 million this year to care for elderly and disabled people. Her government's answer, adding 3% to council tax bills, only raises just over 3 leaving a huge gap to be filled. No wonder Lord Porter, Conservative Chair of the LGA, warns that some councils will be pushed perilously close to the financial edge. Will the Prime Minister wake up to the social care crisis and urge the Chancellor to give local government funding, the local government the funding it needs in next week's spring statement? Yeah. I say to the Honourable Lady, we have recognised the pressures that social care are under. That is why in successive fiscal events the, the Chancellor has given extra money to the uh, to local authorities and to the social care sector uh, as a whole. Next week's statement is not a budget. Uh, but we have ensured that more money is going into uh, local councils, not just through the precept that they are able to raise, but £2 billion extra has been put into social care in local authorities. Davis. Thank, th- thank you, Mr Speaker. By far the most important market for British goods and services today and post-Brexit is the UK um, inter- internal market. Yeah. Now, does the Prime Minister agree that the people and businesses of my constituency of Montgomeryshire and across Wales are best served by the four nations of the United Kingdom working together constructively and positively to make Brexit a success. I absolutely agree with my honourable friend, the four nations working together to make a success of Brexit, but also uh, this government is committed to strengthening our precious union of England, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland. And uh, this is about providing continuity, about providing certainty for people and businesses. It's about making sure we don't create new barriers to doing business in, as my honourable friend has said, what is our most important market of the internal market of the UK. Rachel Maskell. Thank you. Mr Speaker, York's housing crisis is out of control. Whole families crammed into tiny box bedrooms, hundreds of damp and mouldy council homes and street homelessness up 15-fold since 2010. Mr Speaker, my constituents don't want warm platitudes from the Prime Minister. They just want warm homes. So when can they have the social housing they so desperately need? And York's Tory Lib Dem Council have completely failed to deliver, as does her strategy. Can I say to the Honourable Lady that, as she will have heard earlier, this Government is making changes to ensure that we are building more homes in this, uh, in this country. But I also say to the Honourable Lady, one of the issues we have had to look at is making sure that local councils are producing local plans. I believe that York hasn't had a local plan for 50 years. I suggest she speaks to her council about it. Justin Tomlinson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. On Sunday evening, it wasn't Meryl Streep winning an Oscar, but my constituent, Maisie Sly, aged just six years old, 
and born profoundly deaf for her amazing performance in the film The Silent Child. Will the Prime Minister join me in paying tribute to the inspirational Maisie Sly and her school Red Oaks Primary who've helped her fill her true potential? Can I say to my honourable friend, I think everybody was captivated by Maisie's example and by the film that won the the Oscar, and I'm very happy to join my honourable friend in paying tribute to Maisie for her incredible achievement. I think this is important in highlighting the issue of disabled people, particularly of deaf children, and I think, as I say, this has captured the imagination of so many across the world. Mr Alistair Carmichael. Thank you, Mr Speaker. On Friday of next week, the House will debate the private member's bill on refugee family reunification being brought forward by the Honourable Gentleman from the Hayland and the Near. It's a very simple bill which will allow families that have been torn apart by conflict to rebuild their lives here together. It's supported by a coalition of organisations including the Red Cross, Amnesty International and the Refugee Council. Will the Government add their support to this very important bill? Well, can, I, can I say to the Right Honourable Gentleman that, of course, we do have, I believe in this country, a good record of ensuring that we are providing places for refugees, that we are helping uh, those who are particularly most vulnerable. But I understand, as he will know, that we are listening to the points that are being made in relation to this, uh, to this bill. We recognise the concern about family reunification. There are rules that are already in existence for family reunification, but we'll, we will look carefully at this. Gillian Keegan. Thank you, Mr Speaker. This week it's National Apprenticeship Week, and as an apprentice myself, I can highly recommend this route into the workplace. The Government has a great record of delivering more apprenticeships, and higher-level apprenticeships are up 35% from last year. But can I ask the Prime Minister to ensure all schools are promoting apprenticeships, particularly degree-level apprenticeships, as a first-class choice, debt-free, and not a second-class option? I say to my honourable friend, I think it's very important that we do promote apprenticeships not as a second class option but as an equally valid route through training and education for young people. It's getting, about getting the right education for every uh, young person. And I think we should encourage schools to talk about apprenticeships at an earlier stage. When I visited a school in Southall with my right honourable friend, the Education Secretary, when I made my announcement about the tertiary education review, one of the points the sixth formers made was that they'd heard about university throughout schooling, but they only heard about apprenticeships at the very last minute in the sixth form. It's important we open all opportunities up to young people. Emma Reynolds. Speaker, can the Prime Minister explain why last year there was a 60% drop in apprenticeships? We have seen, uh, we have introduced the apprenticeship levy and we are looking at the application of that apprenticeship levy uh, and we are ensuring, we have a commitment over a period of years for the number of apprenticeships. We are going to uh, uh, increase the number of apprenticeships to 3 million over the period of this Parliament. We will be doing that and we were looking very carefully at the operation of the apprenticeship levy and the impact it's had. Mrs Maria Miller. International Women's Day tomorrow, we will be celebrating record numbers of women in work, including, of course, our second female Prime Minister. Yet attitudes towards pregnancy mean that more than 50,000 women a year are forced out of their jobs 
just for having a baby. Mm. When will the government be taking forward its review of um, existing protections for pregnant women, which were promised following the Women and Equalities Select Committee inquiry into this important mm. issue? Yeah. 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 My friend is absolutely right to raise this issue. We have very clear laws in this country that discrimination in the workplace is unlawful. There are clear regulations in place which employers must follow. And in our response to the Taylor Review, we agreed uh, we committed to updating information about pregnancy and maternity discrimination. We'll review the legislation relating to protection against redundancy within the next 12 months. Mary Black. The Prime Minister continues to sing the praises of universal credit, willfully ignoring the devastation that it's still causing. How then does she square her position with the fact that her Tory colleagues in Stirling Council have called for over half a million pounds worth of funding in order to mitigate the enormous Uh, human suffering caused by universal credit? I say to the Honourable Lady, universal credit was introduced as a simpler benefit, which is a benefit that enables and encourages people to get into the workplace. We have made a number of changes to the way in which universal credit is uh, is operated. Uh, Changes have come into place, um, and that includes ensuring that it is now possible for somebody to get a 100% advance of their universal credit uh, at the start, uh, in very quick time, at the start of their application, where that is appropriate. Uh, But universal credit is a benefit that helps people get into the workplace and work is the best route out of poverty. To Sarah Wollaston. Storm Emma has left a trail of destruction along the south coast of Devon, including washing away large stretches of the A379 (coughs) along the Slapton Line. Please could the Prime Minister assure my constituents that they won't be left isolated and their communities separated? And please could she pledge the funds to help rebuild this vital link and join me in thanking the emergency services both in my constituency and around the United Kingdom for their extraordinary work in desperately difficult circumstances. I'm very happy and I'm sure everyone in the House is happy to join my honourable friend in praising the emergency services for the tireless work that they have been doing to help people over the period of the severe weather, uh, winter weather that we've experienced. She's right to raise concerns about the A379 on behalf of her constituents, and I'm pleased to announce that my right honourable friend, the Transport Secretary, will shortly confirm that we will provide financial assistance to ensure repairs to this road are undertaken as quickly as possible. Marsha to Cordova. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Battersea Power Station is a £9 billion development pushed through by Tory Wandsworth Council with only 9% of so-called affordable homes. 85% of these homes have been snapped up by foreign investors. This is an insult to the thousands of people on the Wandsworth housing waiting list. Is the Prime Minister embarrassed that a Tory Council is siding with developers' profits over the residents of Wandsworth? Can I say to the Honourable Lady, this is a site that was derelict for 40 years. It is, it is a... Order, order. It's very discourteous. Far too much noise in the chamber. The, the question was heard and it was very forcefully delivered and very fully heard. But the Prime Minister's answer must also be heard. The Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, as I say, this is a site that was derelict for 40 years. It is now a site that will be providing homes and jobs. And I would have thought that was something to welcome. Derek Thomas. Thank you, Mr Speaker. March, March is Brain Tumour Research Awareness Month, rather, a month dedicated to supporting people affected 
by brain tumours and to raising funds and awareness. Brain tumours remain the biggest cancer killer of children and adults under 40, a fact that has to change. There has been great progress over the last month with the government turning its attention to this underfunding disease, but there is so much more can be done. Will the Prime Minister join me in commending all those helping to raise funds and awareness this month, recognise the many thousands of people fighting this terrible disease, and make a statement about the how, how the government is going to see the job through until we have the research, the care and the cure many, many people need. Yeah. Well, I'd like to join my honourable friend in commending all those who are raising awareness of brain cancer and uh, who are working hard and tirelessly both in research but also to raise, uh, to raise funding on this. It is a devastating disease. I was very pleased to meet with uh, the noble Baroness, Baroness Jowell, uh, to hear her experience with the National Health Service and the, the Secretary of State for Health, and she then uh, held a round table of experts on brain cancer. We have announced an estimated £20 million will be invested through the National Institute for Health Research over the next five years, helping to fund essential brain cancer research. And in addition to this, Cancer Research UK will be investing £25 million in research, into research in brain tumours over the same period, helping support two new specialised centres. Dr Philippa Whitford. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. The increasing provision of health care within NHS England by private providers continues to cause fragmentation and undermining of, private, of patient services. The Prime Minister has thus far refused to exclude such services from a US trade deal. Can she tell us how the Scottish Government will be included in such negotiations so they can protect our Scottish NHS from being bartered away to get a deal? I say to the Honourable Lady that she's um, a little late because I was asked a question about a US trade deal in the National Health Service by the Right Honourable Gentleman, the Member for Twickenham, uh, on Monday in this House. And I made very clear that we retain the principles of the National Health Service and we are not going to allow the National Health Service to be undermined by any trade deals that we do. Yes. Uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. Uh, later today, representatives from the Greater Grimsby Project Board will be meeting a business minister to discuss the next stage of their town deal. The proposals would be a great boost for the economy of Grimsby and Cleethorpes. Uh, could my right honourable friend uh, reaffirm her support for the proposals and similar initiatives? Well, uh, I thank my honourable friend. He has raised this issue with me before, and I do welcome the very strong public-private sector approach which is being pursued by the Great Grimsby Project Board. I know my honourable friend is playing an active role in, uh, uh, in that. There have been a number, I understand, of positive meetings with the Ministry of Housing, uh, Co Communities and Local Government, and I would encourage the Board to continue to engage with officials about the details of, uh, of the plans so that we can see that development taking place that is so important in the local area. The House knows I'm always concerned, whatever the time, to protect the rights of smaller parties, and today is no exception. Mr Nigel Dodds. Mr Speaker, and uh, very grateful for your protection. Thank you. Um, would I, could I ask the Prime Minister, would she uh, acknowledge and indeed uh, praise the success of the EU negotiator Michel Barnier in bringing out a, a measure of progress in the Brexit negotiations in that he's managed to unite the government and the opposition in utter uh, defiance of the legal text that he has brought forward uh, out of the December arrangements? And would she agree? 
that now is the time for the EU to get on and examine the sensible, pragmatic, sensible arrangements over customs and the Northern Ireland border, and it's time that the EU got on with that and got on to the main trade negotiations. He of the right honourable gentleman, but he's been indulged. The Prime Minister. Well, I'm, I'm grateful to the right honourable gentleman. He's absolutely right. Uh, it, it now is the time for the European Union negotiators to get on with the job of discussing those, that trade and economic partnership for the future. And also within that, uh, I'm pleased that we will be able to discuss with the Irish Government and the Commission the practical details of delivering on uh, the solution for the border between Northern Ireland and Ireland so we can continue to see that free flow of trade, not just between Northern Ireland and Ireland, but actually between Northern Ireland and the rest of the United Kingdom as well. Graham. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mr. Speaker, last month it was announced that the proposed merger between the British Transport Police and Police Scotland was being put on hold in the wake of widespread criticism from a number of different parties. Can I ask my right honourable friend what discussions she has been able to have with devolved ministers and what next steps can be taken? And will she join me in calling on the SNP to scrap this ill fated proposed merger? Well, can I say to my honourable friend, I recognise the concerns that have been expressed. Of course, we were committed to delivering on the Smith Commission, uh, the Smith Commission proposals, and as part of that, we are devolving powers over the British Transport Police uh, in Scotland to the Scottish Government. Um, priority must remain the safety of the public, as this is being looked at, and we are, com- we are committed to working with the Scottish Government to ensure uh, a smooth transfer of the function, should that be their decision. But it is for the Scottish Government to decide. But I would urge them to ensure that they take, as they are taking those decisions, that they are putting the safety and security of the public first. Toby Perkins. Uh, Mr. Speaker, is it the policy of uh, the government that England should pull out of the World Cup? And if not, what on earth was the Foreign Secretary on about yesterday? Uh, the point the Foreign Secretary was making yesterday was that, depending on what comes out in relation to the investigation into uh, the attack on the two individuals that took place in Salisbury, um, that it might be appropriate for the government to look at whether uh, ministers and uh, other dignitaries should attend the World Cup in Russia. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. In advance of the Prime Minister's meeting with the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia this afternoon, would she agree with me that, in fact, in fact the Kingdom is a force for tremendous stability in a very turbulent region, and will she offer reassurance to the Crown Prince that this country will stand with him in his efforts to bring modernity, development and reform to our very important Middle Eastern ally? Yes, I agree with my honourable friend. We have had a long-standing and historic relationship with uh, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, and that will continue. It's been important in our security and defence. It's important in the stability of the region. Um, But we also see a Saudi Arabia which, under the Crown Prince and his Vision 2030, is reforming, is changing, is giving greater rights to uh, to women. We should encourage that and stand alongside Saudi Arabia and work with them to help the Crown Prince deliver on his Vision 2030. Mr Speaker, today the Department for International Development launches the Joe Cox Memorial Grants that will empower women in some of the most difficult parts of our world. So will the Prime Minister join with me in thanking wholeheartedly everyone at DFID that made this happen and also to agree that when it comes to preventing conflict, 
Joe's legacy must teach us that women's voices must be heard. Well, can I say to the Honourable Lady, can I thank her for raising this particular issue? And I'm happy to welcome the UK aid contribution that my right honourable friend, the International Development Secretary, has announced today to the Joe Cox Memorial Grants. That's up to £10 million being allocated to support grassroots organisations in delivering on two causes close to Joe's heart, uh, protecting against identity-based violence, but also boosting the social, economic and political empowerment of women and girls and helping, uh, sorry, and helping to predict and prevent and protect against identity-based violence. The, the Honourable Lady is absolutely right. I mean, Joe is a dedicated humanitarian. She fought for gender equality at home and in developing countries. And it's right that we as a government and we as a country encourage women's voices to be heard wherever they are. Thank you.